This is Unstructured. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Unstructured. Today, I'm really excited. I have another author on, and I hope to have a lot of authors on. I, I love reading. I'm a big nerd, and the author I have today, Jake Bible, has to be one of the most prolific authors I've ever seen. And I think it'll be fun to talk to Jake about his process versus Brian Freeman, who was on a couple of weeks ago, and his process, because they're, they're both very popular writers, both doing great things, but th their styles are, are, are quite different in their workflow. How are you doing today, Jake? I am doing great. Thanks for having me on. It's awesome to have you. Thank you so much. Now, I always like to go into history. Um, from what I understand, you used to work in the food service industry or something like that? <laughs> I've worked in a lot of industries. Uh, writing full-time is probably my most steady gig I've ever had, which is a scary thought. But um, I first, yeah, I, I was a cook chef for 10 years, uh, did, did that. Then I was in sales and marketing, a sales rep, and on the road for about eight years. I was... I was operations manager and uh, second in charge for an online uh, supplement uh, retailer. Did that for a few years. Um, and then fate kind of, you know, kicked me off the, the ledge of the cliff and um, I ended up writing full time. So <laughs> it took I would a say, I would say being a food line cook was probably the best preparation you could ever have being an author because that job sucks. It does. Yeah, it's 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 brutal. I honestly think if if there were if the, you know, United States was to ever institute another draft, it should be a draft into food service and everyone should have to work a year in food service. I think ev everyone's empathy would go up considerably <laughs> cuz yeah, uh and working I I am actually glad I worked back of the house. That's how my wife and I met. She was a waitress. I was a cook. Um, hmm. I could, I, I would not be able to handle front of the house being wait staff or greeter. I would end up just killing the customers <laughs> in the back of the house in the kitchen. At least you could throw stuff and yell. <laughs> so you get some frustration out that way. <laughs> yeah. It, oh God, it's the worst. I, I was a cook in the army. Oh, Okay. And that's the worst of the worst of the worst. Yeah. Now, I will say the best job I ever had was a dishwasher. Oh, that yeah, that was my very first job, and everyone left me alone. They're just as long exactly. as the dishes were clean when they needed them, that's all they cared about. <laughs> <laughs> best job I ever had. Yeah. It's almost like the perfect sucker trap. Oh, yeah. you can move up to the food line. Right, exactly. And then you're like, man, now I got all kinds of responsibilities and stress. I wish I could just go scrape crud off a of plate. <laughs> Yeah, it's like the con job that we give children. Right. We want, you know, as a child, we want nothing more than to be an adult right. until we're an adult and go, oh my God, Bill? Yeah. I have to get pay for a roof? It's yep. horrible. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so after you went through all these different jobs, now, you were writing while you were doing some of these jobs, though, correct? Some, yeah. I mean, I've been writing since, you know, way back in. I think I started in elementary school and then, uh, after high school, I kept writing a little bit, but then life and job and work, everything got in the way. And it really wasn't until about, until I had the job, uh, working for the online supplement retailer, I was working, uh, customer service the majority of the time. And 
I had a lot of downtime. I had a ton of downtime because in customer service, you're either answering, answering phones or answering emails, but you're chained to your desk. It's not like you can get up and just walk around. I mean, the phone could ring at any time. So when it was dead, there was nothing to do. And that's when I started getting back into writing. I'm like, I, you know, I was reading a lot of novels just at my desk. I was like, I should write something. And that's, that's kind of when I, when I dove in and that was about 2007 or so. Um, and I dove back into writing, started off with some short stories and, and the internet had, you know, was big by then. Um, so there were online markets, there were websites that were buying short stories there, you know, the, hmm. the, the, there was instant gratification. That was kind of one reason I became disillusioned, you know, as a writer when I was young is cause that was back in the day when you had to fold up your story and put it in an envelope with a self-addressed stamped envelope and send it off. And six months later, your, your envelope you paid for <laughs> comes back with a rejection <laughs> and you're just like, well, mm-hmm. this is taking forever. I mean, I just, I'm a highly impatient person. <laughs> sure. So, so I just kind of stopped sort of writing and sending stuff off. And so it wasn't until when, when there was internet access and I could just submit via email, I could su- submit to all kinds of, you know, online websites that were popping up. Um, Most of them are dead now because just the way the internet works, nothing lasts too long. But, um, but at that point that, you know, it was kind of booming. So it was, it was new and exciting and it was instant rejections. So I could just kind (laughs) of shrug and move on. (laughs) Well, isn't that one of those, um, there's good news and there's bad news. Mm -hmm. The good news is, that it's terribly easy to get something published on the internet. Yeah. The bad news is it's terribly easy to get something published on the internet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I made a point with, with a goal you know, with myself to sell six short stories to six different markets before I started writing a novel. Um, I figured if six different editors, six, six different markets thought I could write, um, then that was enough for me to, you know, dive in and take the risk and put in the time and effort, uh, to start writing a novel. So, so I, I put a little checks and balances in there myself because I've been in sales, so I know BS instantly <laughs> and, you know, yeah, it's easy to submit to markets, but it's all about the quality of the markets. So yeah, I, I had to have six sales before I was like, okay, this, this is real. I, I think I can actually do this. That makes sense. Now, um, when you were writing your first um, novel, did you go about it as a novel or did you just kind of start as a short story and extended it out? Um, I, I went about it as a novel, but in a weird way. Um, my first novel is Dead Mech, and it's actually a Drabble novel and um, a bit of a gimmick there. A Drabble is a short story microfiction that's exactly 100 words. It's not 99, not 101. It's it's to the word, 100 words. And when I started my novel, I just started using that as a way to kind of teach myself editing, um, also to play around with character ideas and setting ideas. And after a while, I had so many of these travels built up of these different characters and just mini scenes and all kinds of stuff. I was like, wow, I could start kind of piecing these together. And... Um, Pretty soon I realized, wow, I, I think I could actually write an entire novel this way. Um, and, you know, like I said, it, it, it was a bit of a gimmick. So um, mm-hmm. when, when I first put it out there and I first podcast it, this was right before the Kindle, right before eBooks had taken off. So if I was mm-hmm. going to, you know, to get stuff out there electronically, 
um, like I said, this was about 2007, 2008, right in there, um, to get stuff out electronically, podcasting, the, you know, the iPod had just come out. And so it was, iTunes was wide open. They were looking for content. And uh, so I started podcasting the novel and I did it in a crazy way. I was actually writing while podcasting. <laughs> most smart people who <laughs> are completely insane. Yeah, but most people will finish the novel, <laughs> edit it, and then podcast. No, that's not how I decided to do it. I decided to write as podcast and podcast and I put out a new uh, chapter episode every two weeks. So I basically, had, it was it was my way of lighting a fire under my butt um, mm-hmm. So I didn't get bored and didn't quit writing the novel. Um, it was, I gave myself an ultimatum. I mean, I, I I put it out there because I, like I said, I'm impatient, but that kind of means I get bored fast also. So I was, I was afraid my basic nature would quit writing that novel. And um, so <laughs> I forced myself <laughs> putting it out there in the public uh, and I just kind of had to do it. So that, yeah, that's, that's how I started. <laughs> That's kind of cool, though. Like, essentially, you put a gun to your own head. Mm-hmm. Completely. So, yeah. And I, I was going to ask you about that, whether all these mechanisms and stunts and things you're working at on actually helped you dist- distract yourself from the fears and things like that. Like, I have to get a podcast out. Yes. And I'm so focused on the tech and getting the podcast right and getting the sound right, getting this right, everything else. I don't go, oh, boy, it sounds so stupid there. I don't have time for it. Yeah, exactly. And and I was I was you know focused on the writing. I'm like I have to get this out. I have to edit this. I mean I have to well, first write it, edit it. You know edit the pages, get it ready. You know and do. I was so focused on the whole having to do it that the fear of doing it of oh my god I'm writing a novel and putting it out there. I mean which is terrifying in of itself uh, never hit me. And um, I grew up in the theater. I, I grew up, you know, my, basically my entire mm. childhood and adolescence uh, performing on stage and, um, you know, reading. I have no problem uh, reading something. I, you know, I've, I've always loved reading aloud. Uh, you know, and I, 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 I get that. So the performance part was, was never, you know, that, that never, I never had that fear. So, you know, at least there, there was that plus to it, you know, just put me in front of the mic. As long as I had the pages ready to go, then, you know, I could record, um, and, you know, and get through it. It was just a matter of making sure I had those pages ready to go. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you call, you call yourself a modern pulp writer. Yeah, I, I, I definitely do because I mean, really with, with, um, Ebooks now, I mean, it's it's like the old pulp paperbacks. Um, those super, you know, that's the reason they were called pulp is they were made from you know wood pulp that was super cheap. Uh, the paper, the literally the the paper material, those old dime store paperbacks that were on those spinner racks and everything, those things, they were made of cheap pulp. Um, and now ebooks are kind of the same way. I mean, not to lessen quality of what becomes an ebook. But that financial barrier isn't there anymore. Um, and I tend to write genre. You know, I write sci-fi and action adventure and thrillers and post-apocalyptic. I mean, I've written zombies and giant sharks and, you know, uh, salvage mercs and space bounty hunters and things. I mean, it's it's classic pulp uh, fair. So, uh, you know, I definitely and I crank them out fast, uh, which is also kind of 
part of that pulp ethos of back in the day. So yeah, I mean, I definitely would feel I'm, I'm, I'm a modern pulp writer. Yeah. Pulp is not necessarily bad. I mean, exactly. One of the greatest, greatest authors of all time is John D. McDonald. Oh, oh, well, yeah. Yeah. No, He's you a pulp writer. Oh, oh, completely. And you know, you, you read some of those, those great novels and, um, and I've, I've even said that I said this a couple years ago, I think I tweeted it or something about how, you know, he could, he had more skill and precision in his writing in a paragraph than many of his contemporaries could tr- try to do in an entire novel. I mean, just some brilliant sentences that just grabbed you and you're just like, oh, okay, I'm going to be reading this. <laughs> I'm not putting this book down until I'm done. So yeah, completely. Yeah. And he, um, also innovated with the color sequence yep. for series. That way you could, they weren't, you could read them out of sequence. Yes. Things like that. And yeah, I absolutely love it. I also remember original copies of the books too. You, you had mentioned the paper and et cetera. Did you ever notice the leading on those? No. I mean, single spaced. There is almost no margins oh, on the yeah. pages. <laughs> just, <laughs> just jammed in there. So you'd be like, okay, John D. McDonald, Travis McGee, 130 pages. Yep. And it actually is like what would be a modern 300 plus page book. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, pages were paper and paper was money. So <laughs> cram as much as you can. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've seen some of those old pulp ones and I've got a bunch on my, my shelf right now. And, um, you know, the, the typesetting, the font is, is small. I mean, you know, I'm almost 45 and, and opening those things up, you know, now you wish you had a Kindle where you could increase the size. <laughs> like, Oh, sure. that, that's going to hurt my eyes trying to reread that. Now you, you mentioned genre fiction. What's cool is like, uh, I talked to Brian um, Freeman mm-hmm. and he wrote, he's a suspense author. Yeah. And one of the things he stated is that he doesn't really read any suspense now. Yes. Yeah. That's sort of his job. Right. <laughs> well, you write all over the map. So what can you read? <laughs> uh, I, I read all kinds of stuff. And, and honestly, what's funny is I actually no longer read with my eyes because I just don't have the time. So I listen to audiobooks. Um, and I, I, you know, cause that way I can listen in the car when I'm mowing the lawn, when I'm cleaning the house, when I'm cooking, whatever, you know, all that downtime, um, I can just throw an audiobook on, which is awesome. Um, and, and I'm all over the place. I, I, you know, I listen to every, you know, nonfiction, historical, uh, memoirs, uh, you know, but then I also, I still listen to, you know, sci-fi, horror, thriller, action, adventure, police procedurals. I, I've always been very eclectic and all over the board in my tastes. I pretty much have been a reader, a voracious reader since I could, you know, since I learned to read and, um, it's really just kind of what my interest and mood is at the time. Like, you know, when I, when I got into John D McDonald, I burned through all of those Travis McGee books. I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know how fast I mean, I tend to lock onto something and then go with it. Um, sure. You know, when I discovered like Tana French's uh, Dublin murder squad books, I listened to every single one available all in a row. I didn't listen to anything else. <laughs> I didn't listen to any of the podcasts I was subscribed to. I just ripped through all of those. And that's what I tend to do is my brain gets in a mood and I lock onto that. And it really now has nothing to do with what I'm writing. Um, when I first started writing, I couldn't read in the genre I was writing because I was, I was worried it would influence me. Um, and now I'm, you know, 60 some novels down and, um, 
<laughs> at this at this point, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. There's no influence. My my brain when I'm writing, my brain is locked into that mode, and when I'm done writing, it shuts off, and I'm doing something else. So, um. yeah, you um just released um a new book, which I'm hoping you release as an audio book because that's how I prefer to yes digest things. Um, four weeks to finished which I'd yep. encourage you to read yourself. Yeah, yeah I'm going to uh, be, yeah, I'll actually be recording and doing the audio for that myself um, in the next couple of weeks. It was just a matter of, of finding the time. And um, since I'm going to record it myself, because, you know, I come from the podcasting world, I know how to technically do it. I have the equipment. Um, it's just been, uh, you know, a matter of find, finding the time. And then time always gets broken up. As you know, recording things, um, those pesky neighbors with their leaf blowers and lawnmowers <laughs> can really get you, no matter how much you want to sound damp in a closet, I swear that lawnmower still finds its way in. <laughs> so, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's tricky. Dynamic microphones help. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I actually use right now. It's, it's a complete lifesaver. Oh, okay. Um, now, on that note, mm-hmm. Brian Freeman can't listen to his own audiobooks. No. Can you? Yeah. And I have cuz I I've been producing them the I've got I've got a series uh coming out and then a couple other books uh through Tantor Audio, but this is the first time I've sold my audiobook rights to anybody else. Um, I've been doing royalty share, uh, co-production with, uh, you know, Andrew Whirlin and, and a couple other, uh, narrator producers through ACX. So in order to proof the audio, I have to listen to the audio. So I've listened to every single one of the audio books of mine that have been produced. Um, I hate it. It's, it's tedious. It's super tedious <laughs> and you have to pay attention. So I can't really be doing anything else so if it's an eight hour audio book and that's eight hours of audio i have to block out eight hours to take care of it there's just no way around it and then i just have a yellow you know legal pad and a pen ready and i just start marking down times where flubs might be or if something was unclear or whatever but i've yeah i've listened to every single one of my audio books <laughs> i think that's actually good though yes um does listening actually help shape your writing that? And, um, it also helps that, you know, I write a lot of series and, Mm um, you know, it's, it's when I'm ready to read the next one, uh, since I've already written the one beforehand and then I had to listen to the audio, then a lot more of the details are locked into my brain. So I'm not spending as much time going back and forth or looking at my, you know, story Bible of, you know, details and facts and you know of that world um as much as i have to it's it's kind of reinforced some things in my head so it it makes it a little more um it makes it easier to write the next book uh because i have a better grasp on what happened in the previous book so you know that's a nice little hack um still takes eight hours to listen to an audiobook (laughs) um i guess one and a half speed if you can tolerate that i i don't like that personally unless it's a really bad book yeah 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 (laughs) exactly same here and and i i notice i'll start noticing that it's sped sped up even if i have tried i've tried to do it myself you know hit the one and a half and i i just hear it i I, and so i have to go back to regular speed (laughs) because it gets distracting now you you actually brought up um the story bible which is 
awesome because I did want to ask. I mean, you have so many books coming out. That's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. A lot of different genres. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how in the world do you keep track of it? I, I, I just have a document where every time I introduce a detail, um, a new character, a new weapon, a new ship, or a new element, I write it down in that document with a description of what it is. Um, the majority of the time I have everything broken out per book, uh, so that I, I know where I introduced something, um, that, that kind of helps too. Um, and then I have all the descriptions I have. Uh, yeah, I just, I just, every time I introduce something, I, I, I put it, I put it in that document or anytime I, I change something like if a character loses an eye, I make sure and write right under their description, lost an eye in book three and, uh, and all of that, or characters. Some I have to put deceased next to, <laughs> so I don't in the next one start giving them lines when it's like, whoops, Oh wait, they're dead, <laughs> which I've accidentally done before. <laughs> so that, that made editing interesting, but um, yeah, it's just, it's just a document. I don't, some people use, uh, you know, like Scrivener specific, you know, uh, you know, novel writing programs, writing programs. I just, I have a Mac, I use pages and I just have a manuscript document and then my, my kind of story Bible description document for whatever series. And I just go hop back and forth and it works for me. So. Okay. Do you outline? Sometimes it really depends. Um, sometimes I can just crank through, uh, my fourth Roke uh, novel that I wrote, I did not outline at all. And I wrote that thing in 14 days. It just was there. It was ready to go. And it just sped out my fingers onto that keyboard, onto the screen. Um, this latest one I'm writing, which I thought was going to be easier. Uh, the fifth Roke book, I actually have had to pretty much outline the entire thing just because plot points had gotten kind of I don't want to say convoluted, but, but things had gotten complicated that I needed to pay attention to details and how th things were working. It just needed more structure. Uh, so I, I did an outline. Um, by the time I finished the novel, I had tossed the second half of the outline and just kind of finished it, <laughs> which is usually how it works. If I write an outline, odds are I do not see that outline through. Um, it's mainly there to keep me on task and then once I'm flowing and going, then I, I, I just let it happen and just finish the book. Um, and it tends to work out fine that way. Okay. So you can use it to kind of map your way out. Yeah. If yeah. And, and I've done that where, where I've sat down and written the first half of a novel without the outline. And then I'm know I'm slowing down and I know I'm starting to get stuck. And then I'll outline the second half just to kind of keep me going to get finished. Um, so, you know, I've got hybrid novels that I've, you know, not outlined part and then outlined part, <laughs> some that I've totally never outlined and some that have gone completely from start to finish with outline. It really just depends what I need to do to get the job done. That's, that's really what it comes down to. Cause I got to get the job done. So <laughs> that's a, um, you mentioned before that, um, you'll read almost single-mindedly, I do the same thing. I find a new series and then I just churn through it yeah. and obsess about it. Do you use that same laser focus to get through a book or do you ever find yourself backed into a corner? You say, start another book and then jump back to the first. Nope. Nope. One project at one project at a time. That, that is one thing I can definitely say. Um, I, I, 
I never jump back and forth. Um, once I start a novel, then I'm going to finish that novel. And then, and that's why I will sometimes, if I get stuck, I'll start outlining, uh, to get, you know, just to un- unstick the gears and get things going again. Um, but I never walk away. I, I, I stick with it, get it done. Um, and then move on to the next project after that. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a one at a time. Everything's, everything's in the queue <laughs> and, and nothing gets cutsies. So <laughs> Now, I know before you've said that you really don't believe in writer's block. Is no. that part of it, too, is you're just forcing it through? Yeah, yeah. And and, and, I, and I really don't, I honestly don't believe in writer's block. And um, there have been some writers who have, you know, had some great analogies. I think Chuck, Chuck Wendig brought it up. There's no such thing as plumber's block. <laughs> There's no such thing as yeah. as lawyer's block or doctor's block. There, you know, writer's block is the only profession out there where someone's like, "Oh, I just can't do my job," and it's like, "Nope, that 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 doesn't fly." That you know, you you need to figure out some way to do your job, and, and you know, being a writer is a job. It is my job, so. Um, you know, the bank, bank doesn't care if I have writer's block when the mortgages do, <laughs> they don't say, Oh, yeah. sorry. Oh, okay. Here. Yeah. have another extra month. No problem. <laughs> you know, the, the novel needs to get finished, needs to get to my publisher. I need to get paid. Um, I think people who, who say they have writer's block, uh, have other things going on and they're just trying to name it, whatever. Uh, I'm not saying that, you know, what they have going on is invalid. I'm just saying they don't have writer's block because it doesn't exist. <laughs> it, there have to be times, though, when you're just not up for it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. What, just, just like any. What are some tricks that you use or tools to help, you know, pull it through? Um, I will. You know, uh, you know, one thing, well, you know, like I said, you know, I'll, I'll outline if I need to, um, kind of unstick things there or I'll walk away and go watch Netflix. Um, I will sometimes watch stuff that's in the genre I'm writing, um, to kind of help give me a little boost there and uh, get the ideas flowing. Um, you know, all it can take is just a simple concept I see on the screen or so a, a line of dialogue that'll be trigger something and go, Oh, that's the fix. Um, I go for walks, you know, I get up and pace the house a lot. I'll clean the house. Um, I'll go mow the lawn. I will, I will do other things and stay productive. Um, you know, if I get stuck, but all with the idea that the reason I am getting up and walking away is to become unstuck and, uh, to get back to work. Um, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I, I never wallow. Um, in it, but you know, I just, I, I will just, you know, I'll take a break. You bet. I mean, writing is hard. You know, there, there's, I'm never saying that when I say there's no such thing as writing writer's block, I'm not saying that writing is easy. <laughs> it It's hard work. And sometimes my brain wants to leak out my ears. Uh, but it, it's, you know, you, you just like with any other job, you, you have to take a break, you know, you know, go eat lunch. I'll, I'll read a book. I'll read something. I'll listen to something. I'll listen to a podcast. I'll do something to keep my mind active, but not work on, you know, what I'm stuck on. And then usually, you know, I mean, if, if it takes a day, it takes a day and I'll get unstuck. But, um, yeah, I, I just go do something else for a bit until I'm ready to sit back down. But always with the idea in my head, I am going to be sitting back down. 
that's that's right. happening. <laughs> so there's no excuses of, you know, oh, throw my hands up. It's, you know, when I take a break, when I walk the dogs, it's with the idea I'm coming back to the keyboard. So it's happening. So, yeah. Okay. I'll do that too. Sometimes I, um, well, I obsess and read a whole series and it's like, what do I read next? So I'll deliberately just change up completely yeah. or do something different or, or find something smaller as an amuse bouche type thing. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like that's kind of what you, you do. Anything to just reset or, or get away from it because you're stymied. Yeah, exactly. I also make sure I try not to get burned out. Um, I try when I, uh, at the end of the day, I try to stop writing before my brain is fuzz. Um, you know, I'll take some notes of where I think I should go next, but you know, it's, it's classic. It is classic writer's advice. Uh, stop in the middle of a scene. Uh, don't stop at mm. the end of the chapter. Don't start the next day at a beginning of a fresh chapter. Uh, stop in the middle of a scene. Take some notes so you know where that scene's going so you don't forget the next day. But um, I will do that a lot. And then I do all the cooking in my house. Uh, so I'll I'll quit for the day and go prep and cook dinner. Um, and sometimes ideas will hit me then. And I'll just keep a notepad by me and jot down those notes um, next to the notes of where I stopped so that the next day I'm ready to dive right in. Um, that's fascinating. Yeah, so that, that helps the continuity. It does. Yeah. It helps the continuity. It helps me. So I'm not lost. So I'm not losing that momentum, uh, that I'm almost intentionally stopping. Um, you know, I'll stop when I'm tired, but most of the time I, I stop well before, you know, my eyes have crossed and I can't type another word. Um, I want to keep some of that energy going. You don't want to burn yourself out. Otherwise sitting down, it, otherwise it, you start to detest the actual act of writing. Um, and there's, there's, there's no fun in that. <laughs> I would, I would not be able to keep this job up if I actually detested sitting down and typing at the keyboard. Uh, so I, I tend to quit before I hate it. <laughs> well, you and Brian both have that in common. I believe he works essentially a nine to five schedule for his writing yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I'm Monday through Friday. Um, as soon as everyone's off to school, then I am sitting down and writing and then I quit by the time, you know, it's time to start prepping dinner and getting dinner ready for when everybody's getting home. I don't write on the weekends generally. Uh, sometimes I will when I'm like right towards the end of a novel. Um, and just to keep that momentum going, I'm like, you know, I can see the finish line. <laughs> so, so I just want to keep running, keep going, and then I can get it done. Um, or if I know I've got kind of a crammed schedule, but it's rare that I work on the weekends. Weekends are just kind of recharge time, family time, um, I'm not a workaholic. <laughs> Definitely not. I would much rather be lounging on a beach with a drink in my hand, you know, than doing anything really. So, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, but I, I keep a, a regular work schedule and it's definitely, it's funny. I have friends and relatives that are like, Oh, you know, it's the classic thing with writers it must be nice. You know, you can work whenever you want, take breaks, you know, do whatever you want and all that. And I'm like, no, this is a job. I take it seriously. It's, it's nine to five Monday through Friday, pretty much. Yeah. What is your, um, on that note, what is your office set up? Do you have like a dedicated workspace that this is where I go to write, yes. you know, like you report to the office. And then when you're not writing, you leave that space alone. 
Um, yeah, well, I don't necessarily leave the space alone, but I mean, I have a desk set up, uh, with my Mac and monitor and everything. And, and it's actually a sweet desk. It's, it's my, um, it's my wife's grandfather's desk and it's a mid 20th century modern, uh, wood. It's, it's actually the desk itself is a nine foot semicircle. So the radius is nine feet across and that's the front where I sit. And then out before me is this giant semicircle. Um, and it's so mad men. It's just crazy. <laughs> it's awesome. I absolutely love it. There's enough room that my wife no longer uses her own desk. She has a section of it off to the side. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, on the weekends or evenings, you know, we're just, just sitting here together doing whatever, you know, house administrative stuff and things like that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's huge. It's massive, but, I, but I absolutely love it, but uh, you know, it is, it is my workstation. It's, you know, we have a dedicated office, a room in the house that is just nothing but an office. Um, that way I can also shut the doors because my wife's a teacher. So she has the summers off and then kids are mm. at home and they're noisy. <laughs> and so I, I got to have an actual office so I can shut the doors and keep working during the summer. Otherwise nothing gets done. So. <laughs> okay. But you're a little, you slow down a little bit during mm-hmm. the, the summer, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I know you, you're the four week book guy, but I'm guessing you only probably get 10 books out a year, not yep. necessarily all 12. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, when it is um, vacation time, you know, time off, like I said, my wife's a teacher. And uh, being a teacher's spouse, I I understand the downtime that is absolutely needed uh, for teachers. And um, so when it's, you know, when it's holiday break, I, I slow down considerably because we're doing family stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm hanging out with my wife because during the school year, she's fried and frazzled and working her butt off from six in the morning to six in the evening. <laughs> it's, it's not that, you know, eight in the morning, the three that most people think the public school teachers work way more hours than they're contracted for. So when she has time off, I respect that. And, you know, we, we spend time together. If she says she wants to go take, you know, a hike in the you know mountains, then we, we go take a hike, you know, quality time with family makes a huge difference. So, um, and you know, with the summer, yeah, cause everybody's home, um, productivity goes down, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's, it's one, it's one reason I don't kick myself. I'm not, you know, mad about it. Um, I realize it's, it's good for me too <laughs> to slow, sure. to take some time and slow down, uh, because of how prolific I am and how fast I crank out novels, that again, it comes down to the, you know, don't want to burn out on this because, uh, you know, it's my job and I love my job. Uh, so, you know, if there's an excuse to take a break, then I'm going to take that excuse and take that break. <laughs> do you do you see writing as more of a, a craft or an art? Um, it's it's a craft, I would definitely say. Um, I, I think what what is produced, uh, so that finished book, that is the art. But mm-hmm. but the actual work of it is craft. I'm a craftsman. Um, I'm an artisan, not an artist. Uh, so you know, it's I I am creating art, yes, but in a journeyman kind of way. Um, I'm a tradesman. <laughs> I've you know I I really I, I think the the plumber, electrician, the whatever that kind of analogy works great. Um, also, you know, it's it's 
you got to sit down. You have to put in the time. You have to put in the work. Uh, even if you don't want to, even if the words aren't coming, you can't wait for the muse. You can't sit there, at least for me. Um, and the, you know, and the stuff I put out in the work I do, I'm not going to sit there and fret over three sentences. Um, you know, I'll fix them later. And the reality is, or not fix them later, they're probably <laughs> passable and just fine. And the reality is the reader is going to gloss right over them. They're, they're just trucking along in the story and caught up with the characters. And they're not going to all of a sudden stop and go, oh, that paragraph, the third sentence in, oh, what a shame. You know, <laughs> you know, this is entertainment. Um, so, you know, there may be some good writing that, that grabs people's attention. Um, and I try to make sure there isn't horrible writing that pulls them out of the story, but I'm also not going to fret over getting the every single sentence perfect. Um, I got a job to do. <laughs> I got a book to write. <laughs> a blue collar author. Exactly. There you go. That makes a lot of sense. Now, on that, um, you've stated before in other um, podcasts that an ambitious idea takes more work. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Um you know, I mean, if, if you have a really original, and I use the word original in quotes because uh, there are no original ideas, but if you have an original idea <laughs> and, um, you know, it's it's ambitious to the point where, I mean, it's, it's going to need, you, you're going to need prep. You're going to need to, if it's about a certain subject and you really have to know every detail of that subject, whether it's scientific or cultural or whatever, um, there's going to be a ton of research. There's going to be a a ton of things going into that so that when you do finally write the novel, you've got all the details, right? You have everything down. Um, so I tend to stay away from the ambitious, you know, concepts, the big ideas. And it's one reason I consider myself, you know, a pulp writer. I'm not breaking really any new ground, uh, with my ideas. I I may just take something from this genre and pull that kind of character, that trope out of that genre and throw it into a different genre just to twist it up and make it new, make it fun, make it exciting. But I'm not inventing the genre. I'm not inventing the trope. I'm not, I'm not getting crazy. If I'm writing about a bounty hunter, I'm writing, you know, it's a person who catches other people. Boom. (laughs) There's the concept. Just go with it. Now it's just story and character. Um, so, you know, I, I I have a lot of ideas that I think would be outstanding and fun to execute, but right now I'm going to hold off, uh, just because I know there's going to take a lot of work, uh, you know, a lot of research and, uh, a lot of attention to detail to execute it and pull it off and pull it off. Right. Um, so for me, I, I kind of stick away, stay away from that and stick to uh, the broader strokes and then just put my stamp on it and, you know, my voice in there to make it work. Right. You've um, mentioned that you had more gra- grandiose novel ideas like Killer Savant, I think. Yeah. And do you, uh, do you ever fear that you're not occasionally swinging for the fences that, you know, you can kind of get trapped in just a okay, I'm cranking, 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 and I'm just putting out books. Do you ever say, hey, I want to go for it on, on this one? Um, No, not necessarily. Just because right now um, that's my job. 
<laughs> is to, I'm not here to swing for the fences. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the home run hitter. I'm not the, I'm just, I'm the one that's going to, you know, I'm, I'm as long as I can hit singles every single time to use a, you know, baseball metaphor, <laughs> then that's fine. That's great. <laughs> um, you know, I'll, I'll stick to that. And hopefully, you know, the, the, the goal, the end goal is all of this work I'm putting in now is going to get me to a point where I can, spend the time on those grandiose ideas where I can swing for the fences and not worry about striking out, not worry about, you know, hitting a pop fly and, and, you know, getting caught out in the outfield there. Uh, I really, you know, that's so right now I'm just keeping my head down, keeping going um, and being able to do the bigger things, the larger ideas. um, That's, that's kind of, that's kind of the goal. Uh, of what I'm doing right now. And then hopefully, you know, once I can, am able to get to that step, then I'll have a new goal and move on from that and so on and so forth. But, um, I know where I am right now and I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it. I mean, I would love to be New York times bestseller. That would be awesome, (laughs) but uh, hopefully we'll get to that. And then that's going to give me the time and freedom to be able to do the bigger ideas and put the time in that I know I need to. Um, cause I, I think that's what would bother me is if I tried to do the bigger ideas, but didn't have the time to really put the effort into needed ending up having to half ass my grand ideas. You know what I mean? Uh, so, sure. you know, I, w- I would rather keep things simple right now, feel fine about that and get to the point where I can do the grand grand ideas. Right. Okay. And that that's, uh, I can see where there's a definite difference between you and, and Brian Freeman, as an example, he has uh, five novels in the drawer. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't put anything in the drawer. <laughs> <laughs> if if I'm working, if 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 I'm typing, it's it's going out there. It's getting sold. It's 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 happening. Some novels are better than others. <laughs> That's just how it is. Um, but that can you know you can, you can spend two years on a novel and people go eh. So, you sure. know, I mean, that's, that's one thing. That's one reason why it doesn't bother me so much is because I have seen people tear their hair out and nearly destroy themselves trying to get something perfect and get it right. And it may be wonderful. It may be amazing. They may have executed that grand idea perfectly the way they wanted to. And then readers go, eh, it was okay. <laughs> you know, so it, there's no winning with that. Uh, what, sure. what is successful and what isn't is such a coin flip crapshoot anyway uh, that, you know, I'm totally fine with cranking through a novel, putting it out there. And if people go, yeah, that was not as good as the last novel. Then I'm like, okay, I'll learn from the bad reviews, move on, try and incorporate some of that into the next thing and just keep going. Um, you can't, you can't hit a home run every single time. So I'm, I'm not going to beat myself up if I don't. Um, (laughs) you write like I podcast, you're a shark. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Just keep moving. (laughs) (laughs) Now, um, that actually reminds me, um, your style makes me think of Dan Brown. I don't know if you uh, read any of his early books. I have not. No, no. All right. And there, there's some problems. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But then he did the Da Vinci code. Yeah. (laughs) So it's, it's interesting. And I can see you're kind of learning as you go and refining the process. Yeah. 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 Constantly. And, you know, I mean, we're all a product of our influences. Uh, so, you know, like I said, you know, if I, if I fixate on a new author or a new series or something and I burn through eight books 
you know, listening or reading those, um, some of that influence is going to get into my psyche. Uh, I'm going to learn from that. So, you know, the next few books I write, there's going to be some of that in there. So it's not even just so much my own writing I'm learning from. I'm learning from all the other influences that are out there. And um, some of those influences are positive. Some of those influences are negative. I've, I've definitely, you know, been influenced by things going, Ooh, that was a risk. I want to try that out. Yeah. See how that works. <laughs> see if I can do that. And then go, Oh yeah, there's a reason that was a risk. <laughs> it's because, whoops. Yeah. That, that's not so easy to do. Okay. Oh, well moving on. <laughs> so you're definitely a believer then in good enough. Yeah, I, I, I am. And because, you know, for what I'm doing, for what I'm writing, um, that's one reason I say, you know, I, I am a modern pulp writer. Um, it is, it is good enough to entertain. It's, it's good enough, you know, for what it is. Um, and you know, that doesn't mean I'm just going to put out schlock. I mean, I put in, I put in the time to edit and do some rewrite and, you know, fix things. But at the same time, I'm, I'm not going to write an entire novel, read through it and go, Oh, this is wrong. I got to start over or trash three quarters of it. I'm just going to fix it to make it work, uh, to make it make sense and then get it to my publisher and then move on to the next thing. And if I know there's some flaws in the previous work, then I'm going to try not to make those same mistakes in the next one and just kind of keep going from there. But, um, sometimes good enough, good, you know, good enough just has to work because <laughs> it's, it's, it's a job. I'm at a certain level. I, I write for small press publishers. Uh, so, you know, volume makes a huge difference getting it out there. And especially in this day and age of indie publishing and self-publishing and all of that, where the quality of self-publishing has gone up considerably. And a lot of those authors, they're cranking books out as fast as I am. Um, it's changed the way people read. It's changed the way people consume books. Um, and Netflix just, you know, that has changed the way people consume media. People like to binge. Uh, mm -hmm. So getting the next book out in a series as fast as I can is kind of crucial to making sure that series, you know, succeeds. Because trying to put a, a book in a series out every six months or every year just doesn't work in the marketplace anymore, unless you have the power of a huge New York publisher behind you. Uh, and even then there's, there's plenty of first, you know, first in the series books that have, you know, kicked butt. And then the series dies at the second book because it took a year, year and a half to get the next book out and they lost the audience. So I always have to keep that in mind is, you know, uh, there's that trade-off. Um, do I want to put extra work into this or do we need to get it out now? And a lot of times it's just the reality of the marketplace is it's not the work I put into it. Isn't going to improve the, you know, the novel that much more, but it is going to delay the release a good amount. So let's just get it out there. I almost wonder if it, a marketing strategy might be like what a lot of podcasters recommend, which is release three episodes. On day one. Well, there, there are some um, indie authors that are doing that. Um, they're releasing a trilogy, you know, automatically just right off the bat um, or releasing one book, uh, you know, with just a week in between each one, uh, not a month, not two months, not three months. Um, they're writing the full trilogy or the full series first and then releasing them. And, um, and if, 
rankings on Amazon or, you know, the big retailers mean anything, then apparently it's working for them. So <laughs> there, there is that. Um, I just, the, the way, just kind of the model I'm in, especially with one of my publishers, Severed Press, um, to wait to write a full, you know, full series or full trilogy or whatever, and then get it out there. Um, just doesn't work. And we're just, I, I've got three series going right now and basically I'm just cycling through them, right. you know, so well, you have a rhythm, you've established yeah. a rhythm and a pattern. Exactly. It works. Yep. Exactly. Okay. I, I had one, one last um, question on this because it's so important to me. Yeah. How important is audio? Um, audio is very important. Um, it's, it's, that's why, I mean, I've, I've made sure to get as many of my books out there as humanly possible. Um, and then there was a series, my mega series had a narrator producer that just wasn't going to be able to complete the series. And I was able to get it taken down from the retailers, get the rights back and sell that to Tantor. Cause I mean, it's a six book series. It was going to take forever for me to find someone else. Plus it had already been released. There was, you know, I mean, I knew I had to have it out there, but I knew I wasn't going to be able to do it on my own, coordinate it on my own. So I, I, took the risk and and I'm getting going to get less royalties, but, uh, at the same time, um, they have a bigger reach and, you know, they, they can get it out there and it's, it's gotta, gotta happen. Um, audiobooks are very important. I am constantly, I'll release a new novel and within an hour (laughs) of announcing the release, uh, someone's asking, so is it going to be an audiobook? Yes. Yes, it will. Be patient. Going to take a little time, <laughs> but it will. So yeah, everything I write ends up in audio. And um, for for one reason, I mean, the audience is there. For the other reason, I've already written the book. It's it's just it's just money on the table. <laughs> it's just sitting there. There's no reason not to. It's not like I have to write a whole new work to put it into audio form. It's it's already there. So most of the you know ninety five percent of the work is done. It needs to just get out there. So it'd be, it would be silly from a business perspective not to do it. It makes sense. Tantor is also important too. My wife is a library director. Oh, okay. And Tantor gets in libraries. Yes. And one of her big beefs about Audible is how can I serve my customers? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of Audible only books out there yep. and they don't have a library program, which kind of sucks. Yeah. So yeah, it's good that you have Tantor. Huh? Yeah, exactly. And and all my other books are are Audible, Audible slash iTunes exclusive because um, that's the contract. And for on a business end, on a uh, you know producers end, it, I, you get paid higher royalties. And since Audible is kind of the big gorilla, um, then you know it's not Amazon. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm not losing a lot of money by not having it wide out there. But at the same time, like what you said, it's 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 going to be fun working with Tantor and and seeing what reach they have because they go wide. They don't go exclusive and they get it into libraries and deal with all the audiobook retailers. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's going to be fun comparing and kind of seeing how that process is. And it may change how I do things, you know, moving forward. Um, Well, I know it helped you get discovered. Yes. In libraries. And maybe those p- same people will go pick up more of your books. Exactly. Because it's going to different markets. That's, so that's awesome. Yeah, that's the hope. Fingers crossed. <laughs> well, cool. Um, as we wrap up, what do you have 
coming up next? I am literally doing the red pen edits on the fifth book in my Roke Galactic Bounty Hunter series. Um, and so I've, I've printed out the manuscript. One of my, my part of my process is when I finish a, a manuscript, when I finish a novel, I'll go through it on the screen and edit it. And then I always print it out and it blows you away what your eyes see on the actual physical printed page that you don't see on the screen. Um, there's red marks all over this. When you think you'd th- I'd think I have it edited, I have it done. And then I print it out. It's like, no, <laughs> it's a mess. So I still find tons of stuff. So that's what I'm in the middle of now. Um, with the speed at which uh, severed press uh, releases books. When I hand this off to them, let's see, what is this mid July? It'll probably be out in ebook around the first week of August. Um, that's nice. Yeah. So hopefully, or second week right in there, but not too far off. I hand it to them. They get it edited and proofread and we get the cover made, get the description hammered out and then boom, it's up as an ebook. So that's what's coming next. The fifth in my Galactic Bounty Hunter series. Well, perfect. Now, where can people find you? Uh, JakeBible.com. I make it really easy. (laughs) So all of my books, everything I've done is listed there. Um, you know, can, links to Facebook and Twitter. I'm at Jake Bible on Twitter. Um, you know, I, I have my own writing podcast that I do. So there's, you know, there's links to the episodes there. Everything is on my website. It's really easy. Yes. And really everybody definitely needs to check out your writing podcast. I listen to some of the episodes and you're fun. You've got a, a great delivery and stuff. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> it's, it's me just in front of a mic and just going. <laughs> it works oh well good excellent (laughs) well hey thanks so much for coming on oh yeah thanks for having me i appreciate it definitely mr hayes's office how may i help you andrea it's marilyn over at kennedy parker construction hello marilyn would you like me to connect mr parker to a fish surrounded by sharks a secretary cursed by desire and ambition introducing the diarist by donna barrow green the Diarist, an addictive psychological thriller, satirical, suspenseful, and full of twists. Available on iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. Yes. I'm sorry if I've hurt your feelings. Or if something I've said has led you to believe I think you're incompetent. It's just been so long since you've given me any encouragements or compliments on my... Andrea. I do notice you. I like that blouse on you, very much. You look very pretty, just as you are right now. Oh, well, I... It's very pretty on you. Thank you. What sort of fabric is it? It's silk. It's lovely. You have excellent taste in clothes. I notice. Would you mind removing your cardigan? My sweater? Yes, so I can see the blouse in its entirety. Why? I like it very much. You see, I do notice you. You know that, don't you? I don't have to tell you I notice these things. You know when I like something, don't you? I don't know. I repeated his words in my mind. I notice you. That was it, wasn't it? I wanted someone to notice me. 
Not Andrea the daughter, the wife, the secretary. Not even Andrea the artist or ad girl. I wanted someone, anyone, to see me. More than anything, it was Richard. Please don't think unkind of me, dear reader. Now, tonight's adventure into the unknown. Shut up and sit down. Sarge and Frenzy from the Sarge Approved Podcast. Uh, if you're not familiar, the Sarge Approved Podcast has a guest every episode featuring uh, people like actors, comedians, uh, survival experts, authors, martial arts experts, basically a whole gamut of badass people. Yes. And you can check out all our episodes on all the podcast platforms, iTunes, Spreaker, uh, uh, Stitcher, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, um, and yeah. you can check us out on all our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the things. It's all at Sarge Approved. Yep. Check it out, and we hope you enjoy it. Bye. Later. Hey, everyone. Eric here. I want to thank you again so much for listening. I know your time is valuable, so I really appreciate you taking some. If you like what you hear, please spread the word. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as Unstructured P, as in podcast. Also, you can review the podcast in whichever app you use. It really helps a bunch to spread the word. Thanks again.